Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. This is the surrogate partner episode. Our guest is Brian Gibney. We're going to learn what Brian does, what a surrogate partner does, uh, some goals behind surrogate partner therapy, all kinds of things. Hi, Brian. Hey, Elle. Nice to finally talk to you on this podcast. And your name comes up all the time. So can I ask whereabouts you're located geographically? So so I am located in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, it's about two and a half hours southwest of Washington, D.C. So um, pretty pretty rural part of Virginia, but um, I travel so much for work. And, you know, the world, everybody's on Zoom now. So so people can get a hold of Brian at bgsurrogatetherapy at gmail.com. And your website is bgsurrogatetherapy.com. So... Um, I've never seen the movie The Sessions, but it always is referred to, and I'm always told mm-hmm. that there's a lot of inaccuracies. What? <laughs> it's a Helen Hunt movie. Can you have you seen that movie? Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that movie, and that was actually my first introduction to surrogate partner therapy. It blew my mind when I saw it. Okay, so um, what does a surrogate partner do? So, so let me just briefly say, in the movie, um, the the person that is per- portrayed by Helen Hunt, Cheryl Cohen Green. Um, has has been a, a surrogate for many many years, um, and in this movie, she works with a, a client that has physical disabilities um, to basically walk him through um, learning how to be sexual with someone else, learning how to be physically intimate with someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it it tracks about six sessions with this client, and he goes from never having seen anybody naked or um, any other kind of uh, physical intimacy to having uh, penis and vagina sexual intercourse. Mm, which um, that's, I mean, from like, I'm trying to think even myself how many sexual experiences I had until I had penis and vagina intercourse. Right, many, many right. more than that. So that could be very um, accelerated for some uh-huh. folks. Oh. That, is, that is very different from how I work and how most of my, my peers work. Huh. Um, and I would even, I would even go so far as to say, like, we really reframe what the work is. Um, okay. you know, historically, a lot of people will call us sexual surrogates. Um, but that implies that we are, we are here to like facilitate a sexual experience when a partner mm-hmm. is not available. And while, um, sex is a part of the work, as soon as we walk in the room from day one, like it is on the table. Um, the reality is so much of our work is based in relationship skills and self-awareness and mm. communication and consent um, mm-hmm. that like actual sexual content often doesn't happen for a long, long time. Um, you know, I, I say I work with clients for about a year on average. Mm. Um, so, and we're talking at the tail end, so maybe months down the road. Mm-hmm. And if we are working on erotic contact or sexual contact, that's, in the context of it's a, it's a it's a context where we get to explore all the other things. So we get to explore relationship dynamics. We get to explore communication. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's so really the the work is much more relational than what the movie would suggest, mm-hmm. um, and much much slower. Mm-hmm. Thank you for explaining who the movie is based on. Um, 
I didn't even want to bring up the movie, but just the fact that so many people refer to it. And it's like one of the only film examples of something, you know, that a lot of people don't even know exists. So to walk us back here. So some people at this point who've listened to my show for a while or just in general out in the world, they're like, wait, so you're paying someone to help you learn how to communicate and to have sexual interactions. How is that not illegal? So what is the licensing or certification process like? How is it that this exists in these containers? And, and let me just start by saying, um, this is a conversation that I have all the time. Um, when I was first um, trained to be a surrogate partner, I came to the East Coast, and there wasn't any culture of, of surrogate partner therapy here. Most of it is on the West Coast. Most of it historically is in, in California. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever we work as surrogate partners, we always work with a therapist in a, a model called the therapeutic triad. Um, so when I work with a therapist, their prime concern is going to be, wow, like, is my client going to get in trouble for this? Am I going to get in trouble for this? Mm. Um, and there's a lot of misinformation saying that surrogate partner therapy is illegal, um, mostly because it feels like it should be. Like People really, really want it to be, to be illegal because there's so much sexual shame. They want to relate it to prostitution laws, yeah. which... Yeah should not exist because prostitution laws make consensual interactions illegal. It criminalizes Mm -hmm. consensual interactions. And I talk about that all the time, so we don't need to go too deep into that here. But um, go on. So, so, you know, this is one of the reasons why I emphasize the relational component of the work, right? Like, because people might come into us saying, hey, I'm having this issue that has to do with physical disability and it shows up in my sex life or I have, I have a history of trauma or assault um, or mm-hmm. I am having issues with my gender identity and explore exploring people of um, a certain gender sexually that I've never done before mm-hmm. or I have social anxiety. They have all these issues that play out in their sex. They come to us and sex is always on the table. That's why they're here. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a, therapeutic process that is so much more than the sex mm-hmm. and that's why it's not the prostitution laws really aren't relevant right mm-hmm. prostitution laws say um if you go up to a person and say i will give you five hundred dollars for a blowjob um then that's prostitution and that's illegal mm-hmm. um but if when clients come to me or clients come to another surrogate partner they say hey um there is this therapeutic service that I want to do called surrogate partner therapy. I'm giving you money for that therapy Mm -hmm. and intimate contact, whether it is sensual contact, whether it is erotic contact, whether it's specifically sexual contact happens in the container of that therapy. So -hmm. there's never really a quid pro quo. Like I give you money and you will do this sexual thing. It's like that sexual thing may or may not happen. And the therapy is the overarching service. Yeah. I have to say as someone who approaches it from the other end, so much of what I do is legal sex work and I've done Mm -hmm. illegal prostitution and it's still so much emotion work, but there's not the professional structure around it and the pacing and the practices. And so I really feel like the structure and the training and the intent makes a difference because I believe with surrogate partners, your goal is that you help the client address this issue so that they don't need to keep coming to you, right? Right, 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 right. Right. Exactly. 
Right. And that also happens for me too. I'll say people interact with me to some degree and then they feel like they learn breathing and how to slow down and just petting and stuff like that and communication and consent. And then like, I've had people tell me like, I think I'm ready for like to start dating now. <laughs> and they mm-hmm. break up with me. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of similarities. This is what's so bonkers about the whole like, people who want to use choreography or that surrogate partner therapy isn't sex. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, it's all on a spectrum. Yeah. Um, and, exactly. and one of the things that I do a lot in my position is, is use the, um, the privilege that I have as a, as a therapeutic sex worker to say, listen, like, let's talk, let's talk about these laws in general. Um, mm. let's talk that, talk about what, um, sex workers who are not surrogate partners are often doing, and it's not that Thank different you. from what I'm doing. Thank um, you. So, so yeah, I um, I am a white cis male with a very academic background, and I talk the way that I talk, and I present the way that <laughs> I do. And for whatever reason, people will listen to me when I say that, mm. and I am happy to to talk about how ridiculous laws against um, full service sex work are. Thank um, you for doing that. Because, yeah. People will listen to you. Yeah, more likely. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. So thank you for utilizing your privilege. That is what we do here because podcasts are free. Uh, so and sex education should be free. So what is the licensing or the certification process like? Yeah. So um, my experience was that I got trained by IPSA, which is the International Professional Surrogates Association. Um, there are a few other ways that you can get trained in surrogate partner therapy, but that is probably the most um, mm-hmm. involved training that Ipsa. is out there. Ipsa.org. Ipsa, is it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and it's not Ipsa.org. I believe it's surrogatetherapy.org. Thank you. Um, so for that, the actual, I think the training has probably changed since I got trained because of COVID, because of so many things happening online nowadays. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is uh, an academic component to help you kind of uh, get a therapeutic context for the work. Um, But there's also an experiential component where you go through the process um, and you do not only exercises, but you process the exercises, which is really what the, the meaty part of surrogate partner therapy is, right? Mm-hmm. Like not just the checking off the boxes, I'm doing this thing, but how does that make me feel? Mm-hmm. Like, how does it make me feel to, you know, in the very beginning, we do communication exercises. How does it make me feel when you say no to me? Mm-hmm. How does it make me feel when I have permission to say no to you? Mm-hmm. Does that change when we're touching each other? Does that change when we're touching each other with clothes off? You know? Learning how to do that, learning how to walk someone through that experience and also be self-aware about the feelings that we're having and share those with the client in a, a way that is transparent and vulnerable and models a really honest human experience. That's what most of the training is about. Mm. Can you give some examples of maybe like low risk or early disclosure exercises you might do with a client oh yeah i mean i so i geek out about what i call the foundational pieces of the work so much because Mm -hmm. i feel like they set the groundwork for everything else um i have had clients see me even though this could potentially be a many many month long process 
I've had clients see me for one or two or three sessions only. And they're like, oh, these are things that I needed. This is the missing piece of the puzzle. Mm. Um, and I can go off and interact with potential partners um, in, a, in a different way. Um, so yeah, I love, I love these. So my favorite exercise um, we call May I Will You? And it's basically a a communication and consent exercise. And I do it in five different stages. In every stage, we ask each other, may I or will you questions? May I um, touch your hand? May I kiss you? May I put my hand under your shirt? Or it could also be goofy stuff. Will you give me the keys to your car? Will you give me $500? we can also ask questions that might be um, really emotionally impactful. Will you leave and never come back? Oh, wow. May I call you every night? Um, in the different phases, mm-hmm. we go through different sets of answers. So in the first phase, the answer, whether you want to do the thing or not, is always going to be no. So we get to explore what it's like to say no. And often this is the first time that clients have ever felt safe saying no. Yeah. They've ever had permission to say no. Yeah. They're encouraged to say no. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And they often might find it really, really challenging to say no. Um, Why do you think that is? I mean, real quickly, is that like a social like guilt? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of, people pleasing that is baked into relationships and sexuality, um, mm-hmm. especially for clients that I work with um, that are mostly AFAB, assigned female at birth folk. Um, mm-hmm. So, so um, many, many folks that have been socialized female um, have been taught that they are there to facilitate a sexual experience for or, or every experience partners. for ever right a housekeeping right? experience a feeding yeah. you experience yeah. like it just doesn't get done often unless i find that i'm the yeah. one i'm like oh i guess i'm taking care of everyone around me mm-hmm. oh god damn it right. <laughs> not and again this, this, but this might be the first time that that gets called out mm. ever in their lives mm. um mm. and really recognized mm. do people cry oh my god yes in sessions <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah a lot, a lot, because yeah. because there's a real there's a realization of like, oh, I have been working under this set of rules my entire life, the set of like invisible rules, and they have not been helpful to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, so liberating! I bet some yeah. people are actually crying right now. Um, I choke up yeah, when I record everybody, all the time. Everybody needs this. Everybody needs this work. Mm-hmm. Like at least, especially the communication and consent part. Mm-hmm. I I wish we could teach it in schools. Mm-hmm. No. So I. A, yeah, that's a whole other episode. So, so that is phase one. Mm-hmm. In phase two, we automatically answer yes, but there's no follow through with, with action. And we get to examine, oh, wow, saying yes felt much more comfortable, but mm-hmm. also I didn't want to say yes to some of those things. And we get to explore what that feels like. And you could just be, you're sitting across from each other, like fully clothed. Well, so part of it could be we're sitting right across from each other. It depends mm-hmm. on the client that I'm working with. Mm. Some clients that I work with can't even tolerate me sitting face to face with them. So I might have to be sitting down on the floor facing away from them mm-hmm. having these conversations. Mm-hmm. What about back to back? Yeah, or back to back or on mm-hmm. the other side of the room mm-hmm. or side to side. Mm-hmm. 
we spend a lot of time just learning to listen to our bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, One of my favorite parts of May I Will You is something that um, I do called weighing ambivalence. So when people think about ambivalence, it's like, oh, I feel kind of meh about something. I'm, I'm ambivalent. But that's not really what it is. Ambivalence is like I feel strongly in a lot of different ways and I'm pulled towards mm-hmm. all of those ways and I can't make a decision mm-hmm. because of that. Mm-hmm. When I ask cl- clients to, to weigh ambivalence with me, we unpack that in the room, right? We talk about all the different things that factor into um, a decision that we're making. So if I ask a client, um, will you take your shirt off? And they say, oh man, I, I wore like a really ugly bra and that makes me feel really uncomfortable. Um, and this is the first time you've ever, you will ever have seen me without a shirt on and that makes me feel really uncomfortable. Mm. Um, but also there's a part of me that finds that really exciting. Mm-hmm. And like, I might find myself getting turned on mm-hmm. and oh God, why am I getting turned on if I'm also uncomfortable with this? Like we get to, we get to dive into those things Wow! and still with no actual action. So we get to have this conversation about this, like kind of abstract thing in the middle of us without the stakes being too high. Mm-hmm. I love that. So yeah. that's the, may I will you? And then weighing ambivalence exercises. Mm-hmm. See, those are lovely the, examples. Yeah. And I, and I like, this is one of the things I, I think, I think partners should do this all the time. I think this should be, um, part of every every couples um, or throuples or whatever permutation and combination mm-hmm. like this should be part of the, the conversation mm-hmm. um, if if I go to a play party um, and I have potential partners that I'm interacting with in the evening I use may I will you and I, I talk about weighing ambivalence and we get to do all these things mm-hmm. um, hmm, that's yeah. also another helpful example in in phases four and five we now have a really strong foundation of what a no feels like, what a yes feels like, what an authentic yes and no feel like. And these are like sessions like. down the road. It's not like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, this, so it might take us, it might take us three or four sessions just to like unpack all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, then we start getting into giving an authentic answer with no action. So like, will you give me a kiss on the cheek? Um, may I hold your hand? Um, may I turn away from you mm-hmm. and giving an authentic yes or no with no action. Finally, eventually going into phase five, where we ask the question, give an authentic answer and then explore the thing. Mm-hmm. But we do that under the framework of this is what revocable consent feels like. Mm-hmm. This is what it feels like to negotiate the terms. Mm-hmm. Revocable um, consent is a good, good term. I don't think yeah, I've ever heard that before. Yeah. Um, and, and this is what it feels like to co-author the action. So if I say, um, may I give you a hug? Clients at that point in time will start to practice asking questions like, well, what kind of a hug? Are we talking about like a quick platonic like pat on the back hug? <laughs> or are we talking about like a hug hug? <laughs> chest to chest, uh, cheek to cheek. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes people find themselves signing on for things that they didn't really understand what they were going to be like. Mm-hmm. And then the other person, especially if the other person is, is into testing boundaries, mm-hmm. they'll go, Oh man, what's your problem? I was just, you know, you agreed to that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Something I don't like is when clients will do stuff that we didn't like. I didn't agree to like they come in for a hug and mm-hmm. then I also get a wet kiss on the cheek and like some pats on my head. I'm like, mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. asked for a hug, I didn't say yes to all this. <laughs> I'm yeah. so transactional. Yeah. And well, well, but also like but it's about, but it feels like about, I'm like, that's for my partner. Like, fuck off my face. I really hate it when people touch my face without asking. Yeah. But, but it's also about integrity, right? Mm. It's about do your actions line up with your words? Ooh. And if you can model integrity in the very beginning phases of a relationship, um, in phases of the work that I do, then that helps so much with trust and safety later on in the road. Mm-hmm. Oh, certainly. So I asked, uh, some folks I'm on Instagram at stripper writer or at underscore L Stanger. If I'm still there. Um, I asked people on my social media and I asked listeners of the podcast, why do you want to pay for sexual touch or sexual training? Um, I didn't really, <laughs> I'm limited in how many words I can use to explain what I'm asking mm-hmm, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, but folks seem to get it. Uh, someone says, so I'm going to read, feel free to react, Brian. Okay. Someone says, lack of judgment and less embarrassing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Someone says, to respect the worker, bring an offering for healing work. So to respect the worker slash to bring an offering for healing work. Mm -hmm. Someone really appreciates what you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Someone says, my partner travels for four plus weeks at a time. Paid sexual touch is safe and reliable way to ground. So that again, yeah. St- yeah, that's lovely. That sounds more like transactional, like with a sex worker where there would be less negotiation needed maybe. Cause that's yeah. the biggest difference I'm hearing between your work and mine is like the negotiation and the boundary setting and the opening up process takes usually yeah. way less time. Um, someone else says, I do, I do want to comment on the, the first, the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of what we do is walk into the room and give clients permission to be themselves, which mm. includes being a, a sexual being. Um, and sometimes they have never experienced that before. They might have grown up in a very conservative religious background. Um, they might have physical disabilities and they've been shunted to the outskirts of, of society to mm. the point where like, it's not acceptable for them to have, or they feel like it's not acceptable for them to have sexual relationships. Mm, Um, Or they might have internalized fat phobia or Mm. internalized gender phobia where they don't feel like they're allowed to be a sexual being. Mm. Just by being in the room with us, we are saying, yeah, this is, this is part of who you are and we accept you. Ah, my heart is just opening. <laughs> I love talking about this stuff. I love learning about this yeah, stuff. Yeah, right? It's, right. It's, oh, yeah. It, I've done a lot of different things in my life, and this is by far the most fulfilling work that I've done. Mm-hmm. I believe that. So we are talking to Brian Gibney at bgsurrogatetherapy.com. You can contact him, bgsurrogatetherapy at gmail.com. My name is Elle Stanger. I'm an ASEX certified sex educator and longtime sex worker. Go to my website, lstanger.com. Phew, summer is here and my vulva is sweaty and itchy and a little irritated. 
So I'm going to use the salve from Momotaro Apotheca and maybe take a nice cool bath with their oil as well. Try Momotaro Apotheca or Oshihana products. That's O-S-H-I-H-A-N-A or Momotaro Apotheca, M-O-M-O-T-A-R-O Apotheca.com and use my Instagram handle, StripperWriter, for a discount. Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. This is the surrogate partner episode with guest Brian Gibney. Earlier, I asked you, I said, are we okay with the first title I used to introduce the episode? And you said, actually, I'd prefer to go to call it surrogate partner. Can you explain why? Yeah, I first off, I really appreciate you asking that question. Um, a lot of people make assumptions about our title. And, and historically, people did use the term sex surrogate um, all, all the time. Um, but since our work is so relational, um, like it really is a surrogate partnership that it really touches all the different aspects of what you would, what you'd experience with a more intimate partner, mm. emotional intimacy, as well as the physical intimacy. Mm. Sex surrogate really basically reduces our work down to acts of, of eroticism and sexuality. Mm -hmm. And there's just so much more than that. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, let's please not use mm -hmm. sex surrogate anymore. Drives me crazy when folks do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I get irritated when people call me a blogger, so I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, so yeah. Okay. Good to know. I will check my language on that. And that also makes sense. And this is a tricky conversation to have, I think for you maybe because someone might be like, well, that's horophobic to try to separate the two. But there is a separation. And we just talked about it. And that's like three, four, five, you know, sessions of no touching, just talking exercises, which let's be honest, sex workers don't do. There's usually some kind, there's a nipple or there's, you know, an ejaculation at some point, perhaps. But we're not just, we're not doing that much groundwork. So I do think the distinction yeah. is important. Um, and and I also want to say, like, the way that I practice and historically what my clients have needed, um, that's what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Another surrogate may practice completely differently. Mm -hmm. um, I like to say that the pace of our work is measured based on what the client's needs are. Mm. My client's needs primarily are learning self-awareness, communication, and safety. Mm -hmm. Someone else may came, come in with very different needs. Mm -hmm. Ooh, and I think one of the main... Um, not differences. So let's see if I can explain this. So I, I, okay. I recognize that some of my clients come to me and they are, you know, we could all always improve, but they feel like secure sexual beings and they feel functional and they don't have any distress. Some people mm -hmm. come to me and they, there is distress and anxiety, but they're not really aware of it or sometimes they are. But in your case, folks are specifically coming to see you when they are aware that they have these barriers. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there are, by the time they get to us, they're aware of the fact that there are significant enough barriers to them having emotional or physical relationships that they really can't do it. Mm -hmm. um, often they've been in therapy for a significant amount of time. They might have even stalled out in their therapy where they feel like, ah, oh, I've been in therapy for years and I'm still not getting any closer to feeling comfortable about um, kissing someone or going on a first date. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there, there's, there's, um, maybe an overlap in the kind of, 
um, person that would come see a more traditional sex worker, like a full service sex worker, mm -hmm. um, and someone who would see a surrogate partner in some circumstances. Mm -hmm. But often folks that use surrogate partners are looking for a very specific thing. Mm -hmm. And that is like this more holistic approach to relationships and sexuality. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And they, and they come specifically needing to learn something, right? Like you might have uh, a sex work client say like, hey, I want to learn how to do xyz sexual act mm -hmm. but um, it's very different for us yeah and i feel like in my personal experience but that might just be also the types of work that i do which is primarily stripping in webcam and porn so i'm not doing mostly full service but i feel like it's rare mm -hmm. for a customer to come to me and be like can you show me how to like massage somebody or show me how to teach my girl to masturbate or whatever um, teach my girl to masturbate sounds insensitive but i've had couples say that they actually showed their partners the porn that I make with my partner because it's like paced well enough and it it's the sex mm. I want to have. So by watching me do what actually feels good, it tends to give their partners an idea of like more what to do. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yes. So let's get to listener questions. So thank you for explaining that. Uh, yes. So our guest is Brian Gibney at bgsurrogatetherapy.com over in Virginia. And we're going to do listener questions. So listener question one, what is the most challenging part of your job, Brian? Ooh. Um, so <laughs> in this work, I show up as a real human being with real wants and needs and feelings and also someone who has kind of a has a, a, a clinical view of what's going on mm -hmm. um, it is really interesting really challenging um when my feelings get poked to wear both those hats simultaneously mm -hmm. so like imagine um i'm in session with someone having a very heated, intense emotional conversation about differences in wants and needs of pacing. Um, and I am simultaneously communicating um, what my wants and needs are, what my boundaries are, um, communicating the kind of meta experience of how it makes me feel about the relationship, mm -hmm. and also maintaining a broader therapeutic context. So I'm saying, while I'm having all these feelings, while we're having this very intense interaction, how is this servicing the client? How is this helping them accomplish their goals? Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully steering that conversation, using myself as a medium to, to have that conversation, have those lessons, mm -hmm. um, steering that conversation in a way that will help them in the future, will mm -hmm. help them understand their own um, reactions, will help them get exposed to potential reactions that other partners may have. Uh, the work that you do yeah. and that I do is just so, it's so it's such like spiritual, like I feel like of the earth work, <laughs> you know, it makes yeah, sense well, that not many people can do it. Yeah. Or not everybody can do it. One, when you, when you asked earlier what the, the training was for surrogate partner therapy, mm -hmm. um, you know, the training is so much more than, going, taking the classes, getting the certification. 
um, one of my, my colleagues who um, introduced me to the work actually used this phrase that is in therapy all the time. And it's called professional use of self. Mm. If I didn't have the life experiences that I have, there's no way I'd be able to do this. Mm-hmm. I have learned so much in my exploration of kink, in my exploration of non-monogamy, mm-hmm. in uh, working as a circus performer. Mm-hmm. That like all of those things inform the work that I do. What is it with there's so many kinksters and polyamorous in the circus? <laughs> <laughs> really is. I say this is I mean, I think know. I think there's this overlapping Venn diagram of like risk trust communication um (laughs) openness to exploration yeah yeah oh that's funny no i love all my sex industry people that are like in you know fire or burning man or polyam Mm -hmm. or tantra or you know whatever and then we i go to the sex club and i see like six different clicks of like overlapping yeah (laughs) yeah 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 that's funny um okay so what a heart opening answer uh Listener question two, how do you prevent your clients from falling in love with you? Oh, I love this question. Mm. And the short answer, the scary answer is we don't. Mm. Um, the, the emotions that happen in surrogate partner therapy on both ends are very real. Mm-hmm. Um, so clients may have feelings of, of love towards me i might have feelings of love towards a client mm-hmm. um even when we start the work we are talking about the boundaries of the work mm-hmm. that this is kind of like a relationship in a box mm-hmm. or sometimes i say it's like a like a summertime romance mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. where you know that it's going to end and you have this amazing life-altering experience mm-hmm. um but it has an expiration date part of what we do in surrogate partner therapy is we explore what it is to have those feelings Mm -hmm. and the impermanence of the relationship Mm. so we're not just checking off things in the box giving a pat on on, pat on their ass when they're done with their their uh, goals and saying okay you know peace out good luck Mm -hmm. we spend a lot of time in closure with our our clients Mm -hmm. um so as, as they're approaching meeting their goals, as they are starting to feel like, oh, wow, I'm done, I can do this, mm-hmm. often a realization sets in that like, oh, wow, this, is, this relationship is coming to a close soon. Mm-hmm. I... And we get to talk about what it feels like to have graceful transitions, to have healthy ends to a relationship. We get to sit in the grieving process with our clients, the sadness and appreciation all simultaneously. Mm-hmm. I heard a surrogate partner say that um, it it was a safe way of breaking up, really, mm-hmm. that there's this understanding from the beginning. Yeah. So that makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and when you think about how we do, how we're taught to do breakups by mm. popular media, media mm-hmm. and- F you, uh, you're and- dead to me. Yeah. I'm going to trash yeah. you. It's like, well, you spend I'm a lot of time you, with I'm that I'm going to ghost you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like what is, what is it like to do something that is not that? What is it like to end a relationship with healthy respect for the person mm-hmm. and appreciation for the time that you spent together? Mm-hmm. Right. So thank you for modeling that. Um, and now on to more relationship talk. Listener question three, how does your work affect your personal relationships with dating or a spouse? 
This is that one of those, is a really good question. Yeah, this is one where I'm like, of course I have to stick this in here because that is a common question. People ask me too, yeah. like, what does your boyfriend think? You know, and I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> annoying, so, but legit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can talk. I can talk about it on from two different perspectives. Like, mm-hmm. what is it like for me, mm-hmm. and also what is it like for my partners? Mm-hmm. I think it's probably easier to say from my partner's perspective. Um, it's become one of the things that that kind of filter out partners. There are a mm. lot of people that are that are not comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not comfortable with it, well, chances are you're not comfortable with a, a couple of other things about, like <laughs> in general, non-monogamy. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so, but it, but it is, it is definitely a litmus test that I use, like on dating mm, profiles. Like, true. okay, if if we can't have a comfortable conversation about the work that I do, chances are we we can't hang together. This mm-hmm. is we're in very different world. Mm-hmm. Um, the partners that I am with. Um, appreciate very very deeply the work that i do mm-hmm. um and understand that sometimes that affects our relationships you know i might come home from a really demanding client session and be like i am just emotionally tapped out yeah i can't uh, i'm gonna need some i can't yeah, give you I'm much i'm gonna need some alone time <laughs> yeah yeah and they'll and they'll like draw a bath for me and like yeah cool i get it yeah um yeah so so i so that is that's really really nice to have from from my perspective how does this work um affect my relationships oh man um i am aware of the sadness and pain and confusion around sexuality and relationships in a way that i wasn't a couple of years ago Mm. Um, see i am getting choked up like a motherfucker right now (laughs) relatable Yeah, go on. Yeah. Um, so I <clears throat> I can't do relationships the way that you see in rom-coms. I can't do um, shallow relationships. And I and um, there's always going to be a part of me that is holding space for other people. And there's mm-hmm. through my work, I have learned to also ask other people to hold space for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so my <laughs> expectations in relationships are very, very different how I do relationships are very, very different um, than, than what you would consider maybe normal, um, how people do them. Because mm-hmm. I just I just have seen so much more. I have mm-hmm. much higher expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing, but I think that also, um, that is also a little bit limiting for the kind of relationships that I can have. I'm wondering if some of our listeners are having a hard time grasping what you mean, but I so strongly also relate to, um, and if I could just give like a personal example for folks that might yeah, please. Yeah, be helpful. I mean, I'm tearing up right now because I definitely like, <clears throat> it makes it harder, I think, to date. But then when I meet with someone and they can not only handle, but like live with and maybe enjoy <laughs> sometimes mm-hmm. all the heaviness that I carry, like the intimacy will be much more beneficial. But yeah. a lot of people can't hold the heavy intimacy that we bring, I think. Yeah. So like, <clears throat> I have a feeling when I'm done recording this, I'm going to go into the next room because my boyfriend's in town. He lives two hours away. So talk about demanding. Like when he's here, I'm like, fuck me, cuddle me, lay on me, <laughs> like shower <laughs> with me. Like, touch me <laughs> because I give yes. and give and give all week long. And I'm like, I need to be recharged. So yeah, yeah very heavy work. Yeah. 
Mm. You know, when um, this may be a little tangent, but my first introduction to this kind of work um, was when I was um, really, really deciding not to finish up my dissertation um, on my, what? My PhD work, um, microbiology. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so I'm a big old nerd. I'm a nerdy nerd pants. Life studies. Yeah. Um, and, and I was having a conversation um, while I was going through this transition with one of my, my really good friends who was a massage therapist, Reiki healer, mm-hmm. turns out also a pagan priestess. Mm. And out of the blue one day, she said, okay, I'm going to tell you this thing about yourself um, that I think is probably true based on what my observations are. You don't have to do anything with it, but I want to give you the words. So when you do want to ask yourself questions about it, you can like kind of follow a trail of breadcrumbs. Hmm. And she said, you are a sacred whore. Yes. You walk, you walk through the world in a way where you use yourself to heal people and often that's sexually. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, you know, my sciencey brain just fucking exploded. <laughs> I did not, did not know what to do with that at the time. <laughs> wow. What a blessing. I would have loved to receive that. Yeah. But what she said was like, you are, there is a lineage of pe- people who do that. There are, um, and there were, there were times and spaces where that was respected, revered, mm-hmm. and taught. Man. Oh, sorry. I'm getting choked up too. Yeah, yeah this is serious business. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so she was saying, you know, when you are ready, now you know how to find those people. Mm. Um, hey. Now you know what you are and who you are. Um, we found you. Was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you found yourself. How long ago was that? That conversation was 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And man, it's been, been an interesting journey. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay, so we're going to take another quick break. This is the surrogate okay. partner episode with our guest, Brian Gibney. Everyone wipe your tears away. Um <laughs> Hey Elle, where did you train to be a sex educator? I went to instituteforsexuality.com. If you do not need to be ASECT certified, you can take their shorter program. It's new. It's called Sweet Sexual Wellness Education and Enlightenment Training. It's about half the price of their regular program and you can do it at your own pace because it's all on demand. You can take it online. You can take one learning path at a time to make it more manageable financially. Go to instituteforsexuality.com and click on On Demand Programs. You can check out their other classes too. Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. This is the surrogate partner episode. Go to theytalksex.com. You can, besides the episodes, find some of our affiliates and recommended products recommended by me. My name is Elle Stanger. I am your host. This is probably the fourth or fifth time I've cried during a recording, Brian. (laughs) And we've only made like 28 episodes so far, so... Uh, you're special in that regard too. Um, always happy to cry with my guests because that means we're talking about really significant stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I do have a few more, a couple more listener questions uh, that we didn't get to. This one's come up a few times. Does it matter what clients look like? I'm going to say oh, no. God. Hygiene matters though to me. Yeah. So, so we get to explore all of that, right? Like, especially as a surrogate partner. Full disclosure, I do, I do and have done other full service sex work. Mm. 
So mm-hmm. like the boundaries and expectations are different. Mm-hmm. Um, in surrogate partner therapy, like what we are doing is partially education. Like just so you know, in the future, if you don't bathe for a long period of time, and you're tr- going on a date with someone, yeah. they may not like want to go down on you like that. Yeah. So <laughs> or, yeah. like it is, it is a general assumption that you are going to have a certain level of hygiene. Mm-hmm. So on some level, we're doing that level of education. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question was really about attraction. Does it matter what they look like? Mm-hmm. And oh man, this is good, right? <laughs> because how we do attraction in popular media and in society is something that I love fucking blowing up and deconstructing. Like we love saying, Oh, that person looks fuckable. I want them. Mm. But that's not what attraction is or not only what attraction is. Like I certainly have, um, people that I have had as lovers in my, my personal life where I'm like, wow, they're really hot. And then I meet them and then I get to know them. And I'm like, and you're also like hot on an intellectual level, hot on an emotional level, Mm -hmm. your life circumstances and how you want to do relationships line up with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they don't have all those other components, they're not attractive to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I might find someone physically attractive. I might be attracted to them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I want to fuck them. And I might want to fuck them. And life circumstances might not, like, might not bring me to actually having sex with them. Mm -hmm. One of the things I do with clients is I break that down. I break that personal experience down for them. Because um, many of my clients are dealing with self-image, body body image issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And they say, why, like, how could someone like you ever be attracted to someone like Aww. you? And I'm like, okay. I've had I'm some real ugly boyfriends, I'm going to say. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, it's a pretty face is nice, yeah. but like a kind soul, a nice touch, mm-hmm. like, you know, really good geeky brain. Mm-hmm. Those are my things. Good scent. Um, I like a scent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, we break this down for clients and say, okay, you've been telling yourself this story that you're undateable, that you're unattractive Mm -hmm. based on this one criteria that society chooses to emphasize. And I'm going to call bullshit on it. Mm. So what is it? My experience of you is that you're attractive in this way and in this way and in this way. And chances are you're going to go out and you're going to find someone that also finds those things about you attractive. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. zoom out, look at the big picture. And realize that attraction has much more to do with like who you are as a person and much less to do with whether or not you have like washboard abs and you're like in the 20 to 30 year old range. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. So last question from the audience. Listener question five. How can a surrogate partner collaborate most beneficially with a LMFT? So an LMFT is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, so it's a special flavor of therapist um, with, with training that actually works very well with surrogate partner therapy. Hmm. Um, so when um, a therapist and client decide that it is time to work with a surrogate partner, um, they often research um, 
different organizations. They reach out to me. They reach out to other um, surrogates in the area, and they say, "Okay, um, who are the people that could work with my client? Who's the the most appropriate match? Mm-hmm. Um, how the therapist and the try and the and the client and the surrogate work together is called a therapeutic triad. Mm-hmm. So we're all on the same team." We all share information. There's an equal flow of information. While the therapist is meeting with a client um, and having regular sessions, the client's also having regular sessions with the surrogate. Mm-hmm. The surrogate communicates the what happens in those sessions to the therapist. Mm-hmm. The client also processes what happens um, in those sessions. Mm-hmm. And that way, all together, what they are doing is they're bridging the gap between what is happening in the moment, in real time, between the surrogate and the client, mm-hmm. and the broader arc of the client's life. So uh, so uh, an LMFT or any other kind of therapist is able to say, okay, this stuff that is happening with your surrogate, how is that relevant to the relationships that you've had in the past or your sexual experiences that you have in the past? Mm. And how does it um, reflect on the kind of relationships or experiences you want to have in the future. Mm-hmm. So the therapist, like, is a, is is great at having this bird's eye view with a client and helping them translate the the kind of micro things that are happening to a more macro level scale. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, someone I just met and I have to shout her out because I was really impressed with her speaking. Um, Amy Weisfield over in Portland area, she specializes in, uh, couples and one-to-one. And I've learned that not all, uh, surrogate partners work with couples and that's fine. Yeah. We as, get to as, choose, as right? a matter of fact, like I, so I, um, really, it is, the work is much, much harder to work with a partnered person. Mm. Um, because the question is always is their reaction with me based on the container in the room or is it referencing some unseen rules in the relationship Mm. that are outside of the room and that makes it just really really hard Mm, okay well i really appreciated that specific question i am gonna assume the person who asked is an lmft so thank you for asking yeah 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 (laughs) but it's it's so I so I work with ASEC, the American Association of the Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, mm-hmm. um, and one of the things that I do is help provide a forum and a bridge between practitioners who use touch and and therapists, because therapists aren't taught about touch practitioners. There there are all sorts of touch practitioners: surrogate partners, sexological body workers, somatic sex educators, professional cuddlers mm-hmm. that can do so much useful work with clients, but most therapists just don't know about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're certainly teaching people today. Yeah. yeah. Again, this is how we use our privilege. Uh, also, personal friend of mine, Carlene Ostegard. She is a Portland sexological body worker. And where does she have a website? Thesexualphilosopher.com. Also out of Portland, there's Cassie Porter who works with individuals. Um, SomaFireWellness.com. And then earlier I mentioned Amy Weisfield. She is JoyfulSelfLove.com. We love giving resources on this show. Yeah. And and I have to say, um, I love all of those people. They are wonderful. You know them. So. Of course you do. Yeah. Well, so, so I did my training with Carlene. Yay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, great. That's wonderful. Uh, I know Carlene a few ways, and she's such a good soul. 
Um, she was one of the speakers. Actually, they were all the speakers. It was an ASECT uh, continuing education somatic practices. So that's what I went to. And then um, after the two hours of her speaking, she actually pulled me aside. She's like, Elle, I could tell you more about these three things you asked. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you can really tell the people that just love what they do. Um, okay, so we're going to pivot uh, real quick. I don't love clickbait stuff, but I went to my web search engine, which lately, I'll be honest, is just Google, and I typed uh, surrogate partner, and I know I typed sex surrogate also because that will get mm-hmm. hits, you know, um, people use the language. So I found a Daily Mail article from August of last year, disabled man, 30, uh, who needs 24-hour care, is stripped of his, I don't know what that means, 23-something amount of money a week. Um, funding for sexual therapy. He paid to have sex the first time or they said loses virginity to a, quote, sex surrogate. So mm-hmm. they pulled this funding 11 months after they found out about that because they said it is not, quote, an acceptable, an appropriate use of taxpayers' funds. How do we feel about <laughs> this? <laughs> oh, man. On, on what layer? I know, um, right? So let me, let me, let me talk about the layer of policing folks with disabilities and how they do and do not spend their money and how they can or cannot live their lives when they are um, helped by the government. Like as a parent of a child who had disabilities, Mm. um, if he had grown into adulthood, Mm. um, he would have been absolutely hobbled by Mm-hmm. the financial realities of he's probably not physically able enough to hold down what would be considered a normal job in, in a capitalist society. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the requirements that he has to meet um, to get help from the government um, mm-hmm. are just very um, disempowering and um, dehumanizing, honestly. Mm-hmm. So there's that layer of it of like, mm-hmm. fuck it. Like, our our government does not treat folks with disabilities well at all. Um, and I and I I am familiar with this article. It's not that's not our government. Yeah, um, but they do it. Uh, they do it all over the country. place. Yeah, they do it all over the place. Yeah. Um, but I think I think it really speaks to purity culture. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sexuality, and I and I say sexuality and sexual expression because they're two different things mm-hmm. um they're a basic human right they are they are part of the fabric of what makes us human mm-hmm. and you know fuck people who want to limit access to that mm-hmm. so much of our world is already um you have to look this way have this much money act a certain way in order to get access to sex mm-hmm. um and then to say and then to and then to uh you know, criminalize um, transactional sexuality fucking drives me crazy. Now, I don't know enough about that specific case to know um, how the surrogate was practicing um, because a lot of people call certain things surrogate partner therapy and it's, it's probably more like compassionate Mm-hmm. Full service sex work. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with compassionate full service sex work. Um, 
so I don't I don't know the legal ins and outs of that. Yeah. Right. For some right. reason my internet won't reopen the article page, so that's fun. So I can't tell you. <laughs> and 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 if I and if I remember reading the article, it it really didn't go into that too much. And I don't know the people that were involved. <sighs> um but like let me let me like blow that up a little bit. Do I think this is something that um should be an accessible service? Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I think that surrogate partner therapy um and should be should be something that everybody has access to it is a basic um human right mm-hmm. it is a health concern for so many people mm-hmm. um whether it's overcoming trauma mm-hmm. um whether it is overcoming abuse mm-hmm. whether it is just overcoming social anxiety mm-hmm. in order to become a uh, happy and healthy and orient yourself to relationships in different ways. And it really says something so about like, who we prioritize having sexual experiences or allowing them to like, I mean, Viagra is oh, covered yeah, by insurance, yeah, yeah, yeah. but God forbid this guy like have sessions with someone. Yeah. Well, and then, and, you know, we get, we start to talk about like, well, decriminalization versus legalization mm-hmm. and all the, mm-hmm. the kind of legal nuances of that. Mm-hmm. But, oh yeah. And I have, I certainly have on this show. <laughs> Yeah, Quite yeah, often. yeah. But, but um, you know, I, 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 I am on a lifelong crusade to abolish sexual shame wherever I find it, mm-hmm. and that kind of bullshit is so shaming mm-hmm. and so othering, mm-hmm. um, and I it just drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. So those, that's my feelings about it. <laughs> I echo that sentiment. Um, I will say earlier when I asked, uh, or when I read some listener responses. So one of the ones that I, I am finding now, as I look again through my notes, someone says, um, I would pay for sexual touch or sexual touch training because there are things I struggle with sex things that I can only remember when having sex. I thought that was interesting oh, too. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that just speaks to like, a lot of us know we have barriers and stuff, but we might have trouble mm-hmm. pointing them out or articulating them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why I well, why and, do so and I I would say ninety five percent of the time clients come in to into work with me and they say, okay, I, I, I want to work on X mm-hmm. um to help me get to my goals. And the reality is there are like eighteen other things <laughs> that they're just not aware of <laughs> right. being barriers. And and all of us are part are have that, right? Like I, I think about the struggles that I've had in my own relationships over the course of my life. Dude, I wish I knew this stuff when mm-hmm. I was 15 and 20 and 25. Mm-hmm. Like, there was no owner's manual for this. But, and that's also why I do this show is because I'm like, I am an awkward person. If I can make life less painful mm-hmm. for many other people, then that's how I give back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make the world a better place. There, there, was a, there was a point in my life where I really struggled to have a sustained conversation with someone and wow. look at them in the eyes. Wow. And now I'm doing this. Wow. Um, so when people say, oh, Brian, like you're just naturally good at this, you're a sex and relationship expert. Like, no, I've been, I've been doing this work on myself for the past like 30 years. Mm-hmm. It has been a slog and I've had to do it mostly alone. Um, so I, really want to be 
the person that holds someone else else's hand mm-hmm. while they're doing mm-hmm. it. and we're we're growing that lineage of sacred horrors also is what mm-hmm. we're doing mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so i ask every guest this uh besides all of the advice and help you already gave do you have any sex tips for our audience <laughs> do i have any sex tips yeah i do <laughs> Um, and, and shocker, they're not actually tips about sex. <laughs> Shock, not a shocker. <laughs> so, so, so slow down. Yeah. Be curious. You know, don't just ask for consent. Like, ask about why, ask about what, you know, what about their partner's values or experiences, um, make them feel one way or another. Mm-hmm. I love that. That part of you that says, don't share this. It is dangerous. Um, they might judge you based on it. Mm-hmm. Share those things. Um, whether it's emotional things, whether it's fantasies, that's what not only builds a foundation of trust, but can make for some really hot sex. <laughs> sure can. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so open yourself up and, and, trust other people if if they're not worthy of your trust they'll kind of find their ways you know out of your life but mm-hmm. to not do that to kind of have a, a shallow half relationship mm-hmm. doesn't feel good emotionally and definitely doesn't feel good sexually nope sure doesn't thank you brian gibney so much for all of your words and energy oh, thank you l i've been listening to you for a very very long time and it's really awesome to finally be on here as a oh my gosh it's so flattering to hear that from someone i didn't i didn't know listen to the show so thank you so much uh folks you can find me theytalksex.com lstanger.com i have a subscribers only patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows and brian gibney you can find at bgsurrogatetherapy.com Yay, until next time. Lots of us know to grab a towel when we're on our period for period sex, but what if you could just get the layer? Try getthelayer.com because it's not just a sex blanket. It's great for not ruining sheets, bedding, furniture, whether you're on your period, whether you're a squirter, whether you're just trying to be polite, it's black, it's discreet, you can get 10% off when you get the layer.com and use the code L E L L E, all caps, my name. Try it out. Let me know how you like it. It is my travel.